Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talked to the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation and discussed the idea of a country divided. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And this episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA. Be sure to check out their Prime membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If you'd like to sign up or purchase ammo, please go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Oh, doing well, man. Happy to be back in the studio. It's always a refreshing uh, relief from a little bit of daily life. I would agree with that for sure, yeah. for sure. So where are we at with the Nighthawk? Are we any closer? Uh, I mean, it's not in my hand. <laughs> so it's no closer. <laughs> so, it's no closer. I mean, I, I like to think that it moves like slightly down the line every day. And, okay. you know, it, like I, I kind of envision that maybe they're adding one package peanut at a time <laughs> to the box <laughs> and slowly getting close to wrapping it and uh, sending it FedEx or All right. UPS. Well, I it. hope that the last peanut is going in the box tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope it went in today and yeah. it goes in the mail tomorrow. Yeah, so I actually uh, am in the process of getting a new a new range toy. Um, yep. I don't really want to get into it right now. I want to get to yeah. The you want you you don't want to be like me and talk about it for seven months yeah, and then exactly. actually not be here. So you're going to wait until it actually. Yeah, is well, it's not even on my permit yet, so I got a ways to go still. So, <laughs> but apparently uh, that was the easy part for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had it on my pit per- permit longer than I've uh, seen the gun. Yeah. So I want to get into this uh, into this episode, obviously, with the interview. But uh, before we do that. I would just like to ask uh, all of our listeners, uh, we have been actually the last couple of days having a good time on Discord, and I thought it would be a good time to ask uh, any listeners out there that are not on the Discord page, come on yeah, over and join. We uh, we kind of been hopping it up a little bit over there. Yeah, having some fun, and uh, yeah. we tried something new, which we'll get to the, it during the, the meme, interview. The meme page is, yeah. uh, is, is hot and fired up. Yep, exactly. So if, if you're out there, there's all different pages and all different things, everything from silly memes to uh, gun politics to... Gun picks. Mike and I making fun of each other. Exactly. So I was glad, by the way, that you mentioned that you actually had questions for this interview. That was impressive. I prepared. I was excited to have our guest on, so I I actually did a little extra work. Well, let's get to that. So tonight's interview is brought to you by Flatline Fiber Co. Flatline creates quality sewn goods for the firearms community. Whether you're looking for a new sling or maybe some ear pro wraps to make range sessions more comfortable, they've got you covered. All products are made by hand in the USA, include free shipping, and have a lifetime warranty. Use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off, and thank you for supporting the companies that support the show. You Did you recently get a new sling for a rifle? Uh, I actually uh, I asked them for one. I haven't gotten it yet, though, but I'm getting yeah. for my hunting rifle. I'm going to get okay. a new, new sling, yeah. Cool. Anyway, let's get to the interview. Today's guest is the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation. He's been the author or co-author of numerous books related to our Second Amendment rights and has published multiple articles in the San Francisco Examiner, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, and USA Today. He's also appeared in over 6,000 TV and radio talk shows, including Lou Dobbs, ABC's 2020, The O'Reilly Show, MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews, CNN's Crossfire, and many, many more. Today, we are honored to have... Joining us here on the Gun Experiment, please welcome Alan Gottlieb to the show. 
Alan, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good to be with both of you. Thank you. Thank and you, Alan. Thank you for joining us. And I have to tell you, I just want to say this. I had to cut out some of the shows I was, I was you were say, on. Those I, are some big shoes to fill there. Yeah, I, I, I had to actually leave some off or we would have been here a lot longer. <laughs> so uh, your resume is very impressive and uh, we are honored to have you on our on our humble little show. Well, thank you. But my resume shows that I've been around too long. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask your age is what you're saying. Yeah, we, we won't. We won't. That, that was one of the hard, hardball questions we have for you. So, Alan, I want to start by uh, obviously thanking you for all that uh, you do and all of your efforts in the fight for the Second Amendment. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you started out as a writer, but what initially got you interested in gun rights advocacy? Well, it actually all started, I guess, to some extent when I was in college. Uh, I was at the University of Tennessee majoring in nuclear engineering and decided I needed an avocation, so to speak, to get away from the books. And I got involved in reading a lot of political philosophy and really cared a lot about individual freedom and individual rights. And the one area of individual freedom and rights always been under attack has been the Second Amendment. And so I gravitated to do some research on Second Amendment stuff, and, and then I was working for a congressman as his press secretary. And so I, I, I sort of had the, the gun rights issues front and center in the congressional office. Uh, and then I was offered a position to come out to Seattle area uh, to work for a political youth group, and one of their political committees was the Student Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, which then we changed to become the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, and, and it became independent and it grew rather fast. And that was back in 1972. And then in 1974, I founded the Second Amendment Foundation because at that time there was no uh, 501c3 nonprofit tax exempt foundation to work on public education, research, and legal defense issues that, that, you know, for Second Amendment rights. Uh, and so that's how it all sort of started. And back then, of course, to be honest with you, there was no real case law supporting Second Amendment rights you know, that you could really you know, look at. There were all the law review articles talked about collective rights, not individual rights when it came to, to guns. Uh, and to be candid about it, the only real case that was out there was not a federal case. It was a, a decision by the Oregon State Supreme Court that didn't even involve a gun. It involved a knife. And they are, they, they, the court ruled that the, the Oregon state constitution right to keep bear arms provision allowed you to have knives for self-defense. And so we started some legal scholars conferences and, and, and creative writing and law review articles and, and you know, uh, history journals, public college, popular culture magazines, uh, and started the road to build a foundation so that one day, which was a pipe dream back then, you might get a case to the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we well, had someone on the other day that brought the the fact that there's only been three case gun cases before the Supreme Court ever. Right. So it's it's uh, only in very recent times that we've really even seen that happen. Well, actually, there have been more than three. And in, in recent history, there's actually a fourth one that dealt with stun guns. But yeah, oh, yeah. Stun that was guns, Massachusetts, right? Yeah. 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 Nobody really talks about it much. And then, of course, you had the Miller and Cruikshank decisions way back when. Uh, and they really didn't necessarily talk about the individual right or collective right per se. They talked about a a firearm had a reasonably resemble a gun used by the militia, and back then, like in the Miller case, 
they argued that, you know, a sawed-off shotgun didn't really resemble uh, a gun used by the militia. And, of course, it did because back in World War, you know, one World War, you know, World War One, we had people using trench guns, these sawed-off shotguns, you know, you know in, in the trenches. So you could make a good argument that, that it did. But the problem was Miller was in prison. He didn't have an attorney. He argued himself pro se and couldn't appear to oral arguments because he was in jail. Uh, <laughs> and so only the government had their way. And that was sort of made some bad case law. It didn't work out so well. So you have a very large catalog of books that you've either authored or helped write. You know, I, th- I think there's over 20. Um, can you give our listeners maybe the top two or three that you feel are, you know, are the ones that we should really be? Uh, maybe reading. Wow, that's really hard for me to do. About twenty of those twenty-four books. I think it's twenty-four, twenty-five books that I've written or co-authored, and uh, at least twenty, about twenty of them dealt directly with you know gun rights. Correct. Uh, it's really hard to say what the what the best ones would be. In the time frames they were written, they were all kind of important in their time frame. Today, I don't know how it. You know what what. What I which ones I should recommend or not? Well, you gotta uh, have you gotta have ones that you really. I mean, listen, you can't you can't yeah. say you're equally proud of all twenty twenty five, right? So there's got to well, be a couple that you're like these well, were. One, 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 one that meant one that meant a lot to me, but it's out of print right now, and you, you can find them on Amazon and other places, and sometimes it gets pricey. It's called the Gun Grabbers: Who They Are, How They Operate, Where They Are, Who They Are, and How They Operate. And a lot of research went into that to find out, you know, back then when that book was written how they were funded, where the money was coming from, who their mouthpieces were, things had gone behind the scenes. And because it had a lot of uh, stuff that nobody knew about at all, and it was fun to write. Uh, that's one that's of my good. favorites. Give me one more. Give you one more. Um, uh, well, one was, I guess I'd say an earlier one too, called the Gun Rights Factbook, which actually did then get revised and put out a second time a number of years later. Uh, and that was important because at the time there weren't, there wasn't a whole lot of places where you could go get that information. And I got put up by the publishing company, put me on an author's tour where I did the top 20 cities in the United States and did like, you know, six to eight interviews a day, uh, you know, all week long and then took the weekend off and then going back on, on tour again. And I traveled the country and met a lot of people in, in the media where I was able to get a lot of second amendment, you know, uh, support pushed for people who didn't have information and reached out the masses a lot. And I think that one had a lot of influence b- because of that 20 city media tour that I did the top 20 cities. Well, the gun rights fact book is definitely one that I, I would agree with you on. I, I haven't read gun, gun grabbers, but uh, I'll add it to my list now that you've recommended it. Yeah, Key's a big reader for sure. So speaking of writing many years ago, you made a comment. I want to say it was about eight years ago. Uh, that when it comes to writing laws on background checks that we need to lead and not follow. And I understand your sentiment when you say that. Do you still feel that way today or has that feeling changed because maybe you feel we've compromised enough and that strategy no longer is effective? Uh, Where do you stand on that? Well, I don't support it as a compromise position. I I think, quite frankly, as a public policy position, background checks are, are a good thing. The question is how they're done and what's done. The question is how they're done and what's done with the data. And that's where the problem is. The idea is, is the, our opponents want to create a national registration system out of it, whereby they can then you know, know who has the firearms, where they are, and eventually go collect them. Uh, and we have to oppose that. And then we have a, a database that's used for background checks that's totally, t- totally trash, that a significant number of people who shouldn't be able to buy a firearm are not in it. And, and a large number of people who should be able to are disqualified put in the database falsely. 
And it's the system's never been set up in a proper way to one guarantee individual rights while at the same time protecting public safety. Uh, and that's the problem with background checks. And so what I was trying to do to accomplish there was change a bit on how the background checks were done, what the, how the database was kept, allow people to get their rights restored, uh, you know, especially those who were falsely, you know, falsely accused. Uh, and it just wasn't going to work out because our opponents basically uh, weren't looking to expand gun rights in any area. They were looking to, you know, shut down gun rights. And, and that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, so let me just um, let me unpack some of that. So I, I agree with you. I think that background checks when they're done in the right way, I think that they're something that is necessary. I think that we certainly want to make sure that guns are in the right hands and not the wrong hands. So I'm not against them. And I also agree with you that they're trying to create a national registry. I don't think there's any secret yes. to that, right? So I, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, the problem is, is I think sometimes we get a little bit uh, in muddy waters when we talk about background checks because then we get into the whole, and this is the other side, obviously, but the gun show loopholes and you know wh who, who should have background checks and who shouldn't. So like here in New York... Uh, you know, everybody needs a background check. doesn't matter. I've known Keith for years. We've shot together for years. I trust him. You know, I don't think that there's any reason I couldn't just sell him a gun. But our state doesn't want that, right? They want to make sure every gun goes through a background check. So I guess the question is, you know, uh, how do we accomplish what your original sentiment was? Do, do we, how do we get out in front of that? Well, it's hard to get in front of it when the, the other side isn't going to, you know, doesn't want to play ball because their game plan is, you know, basically confiscate and prohibit firearms ownership, not 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 to really, you know, solve the problems of, of disqualified people, violent people getting their hands on firearms or other deadly weapons as well. So I don't know how to get in front of it. I've tried a number of times. Uh, and the other side you know, isn't going to go along with it. And likewise, our side, to be honest about it is a little paranoid about it and with good reason yep. because the other side obviously has tried to manipulate this like they've done in, in your home state of New York where it's not just a background check and you know and it's basically a registration system uh, and that's what they really want uh, and and, uh, and that, that's the real problem. Speaking of New York though I'd like to give you as we have some breaking news today. Oh please oh, yeah. good news Alan. Yeah <laughs> I, I, I know you like breaking news. The Second Amendment Foundation won a temporary restraining order against New York State sensitive places law. It's back on it, <laughs> you know you know as as it deals with churches oh, and we true. have okay. a, judge, a yep. federal judge in, in New York just just put an injunction down uh, a restraining order against New York for enforcing their, their their new law of sensitive places, uh, and I'm really excited about with, that. With regard to churches, at this time only, though, right? Yeah, we have a secondary case with that before the same judge that deals with other sensitive places, uh, which uh, he's got as well. But he gave us the we we actually applied for the restraining order yesterday, uh, or actually I shouldn't say yesterday, Monday. Uh, and, and yesterday the other side had to put their brief in against us. The state had to argue against the restraining order and we had a, a response by 10 a.m. today and at 5 p.m. today, New York time, the judge ruled in our favor and, uh, it, it's an, an, under news and releases on the second amendment foundation's website, saf.org. That's the top story under news and releases. And there's a link to the judge's, uh, order, which is absolutely phenomenal to read. So by the time this airs, this will unfortunately be old news. Uh, we are on a delay with our show. But, you know, I have to tell you, this is where this stuff gets super frustrating and super confusing because 
we had a TRO for basically 90, 90% of of all of the things that were in this new uh, gun gun law for New York. And then, you know... The Concealed the, Carry Enhancement or Improvement Act, right? What was yeah. the Improvement Act? And, and, and then no, no sooner did we have the TRO, we were told that, well, it's a little too confusing to go back and forth, so we're going to leave it in place until the court, until the U.S. Uh, court of Appeal, Federal Court of Appeals. So, you know, now this is back on and until but only, they... But only for one piece. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and until they appeal it and someone else says that, no, no, we're going to get rid of that too. Like, it's it's getting to the point where... I don't know where I can and can't carry, when I can and can't carry. That's like, what they want. It's it's I, I, just so confusing. Well, and that kind of leads me into my question, Alan, is that, you know, you've talked about how the anti-gun side is trying to divide the pro-Second Amendment side, and it, it does seem like it's this is how we are losing ground. Uh, some examples that I know you've said and I agree with are, you know, how they divide us um, by lobbying to hunters that are okay with an AR or a 30-round mag ban or high-end gun owner, uh, high-end handgun owners, you know, maybe don't see a need for an economical handgun. You know, I, I agree with the thought that just because you may not need or want that kind of gun doesn't mean someone can't have it for a legitimate lawful purpose. You know, I just find that, you know, where we're kind of talking about right now, in my opinion, the Second Amendment has become a political scapegoat. It's just... It's so frustrating to figure out how to navigate and how to have these discussions with you know people of of the other side. Is it is a better approach to just try and explain the nationalism behind our constitutional rights, and you know have America's truly just lost all concept of how our country was formed and how our right to bear arms is what protects the freedoms that we all enjoy? I know that's kind of two questions there. I apologize. Yeah. Well, well, we we try to do that. That's more of a long range goal and, and, you know, and takes time to educate people. But like I like to say, it's the bill of rights, not the bill of needs. Yep. And you know, no, no one needs things. I mean, no, no one needs to listen to the podcast of their choice, but you have a right to have a podcast and you have a right to listen to it uh, under the first amendment. And the second amendment is the same way. And you can't pick and choose which rights you want to support and not support under the bill of rights. Cause if you do that, you shred the whole document and it unravels. Uh, so, it's an ongoing battle, I guess, and you have to attack it on, back on multiple fronts. So what you're saying is correct, uh, but I want to point out that we're not really losing. We're actually winning and gaining ground. Does not and, feel like that in New York, Alan. Well, it really doesn't. It, it's, it's, okay, it's, go, it's going to. It's just going to take a little bit more time and, and, and probably another Supreme Court case where you know New York's overreaches will reach the court again. Uh, but the bottom line— Will they take that up, Alan, is the question. Oh, they will. I think the Supreme Court will definitely take it up because there's no doubt. Let's be honest about it. New York's new laws that they passed, passed you know, subsequent to the Bruin, the Supreme Court decision, is thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court. Yeah, and yeah. Them, We're not going to listen to you. And it's not going to work. Uh, and it is flat out, it's not going to work. So it's just going to take some time, but New York's going to get smacked again, and you guys are going to help liberate not just New York, but the whole country. I, I hope, I, I pray every day you're right. Well, I always say, because I know, you know we have a national audience, and we have people in Texas and Tennessee, and you know, and I know people will often say things like, you know, well, just move, you know, you, just move, leave New York. And I, I always say to people, we're, we're just a cautionary tale. You know, don't don't think this can't come to Texas because right. it doesn't seem that way. But, you know, it, we are just 
way ahead of the curve on this and people really need to pay attention. Yeah, I mean, I mean, states have been, there have been already in the news stories that some states have, have seen how this has played out so far and seen the confusion around these temporary restraining orders and, and the federal appeals and the first, the first case being dismissed. Like, and that has almost empowered them to try to pass their own laws. You know, Massachusetts is one that comes to my mind. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. It is just, it can happen anywhere. For so sure. I, I want to get to something a little, um, what I think is more positive in terms of the second amendment community. But before I do, I have one other question for you, since you were bringing up the good news in New York, uh, do you ever see the safe act being challenged again and possibly being overturned? Well, I think the safe act parts of it, uh, can be challenged again and parts of it can be overturned. There are parts of it that, that aren't, they may be bad public policy, but it doesn't mean it's going to be unconstitutional. Uh, so I think I think in, in light of Bruin, you're going to see parts of the SAFE Act re-being challenged, and I think there'll be some successes with that. But there can be parts of it that are not going to be successful, and, uh, and I actually hope some people don't challenge those parts because it could set bad precedent in case law. Do you think like, uh, like you know, AR-15s and... and um Standard capacity magazines would be able to be overturned? Yes, but most definitely. And they're probably not going to be overturned directly by challenging the SAFE Act because they're already in the pipeline in other states. Correct, right. Challenges, challenges to, to, to you know, uh, standard capacity magazines and modern sporting rifles that are, quote, unquote, going to win first. And when those one of those is to be going, I'm sure, going up to the Supreme Court, uh, either coming out of Maryland or California, as an example, uh, they're already on their way moving. Uh, and they're ahead of anything that would be happening in New York. And when those things get ruled on by the Supreme Court, that's going to take out New York's law. Gotcha. Okay. So at the end of September, uh, Second, Amendment, Second Amendment Foundation co-sponsored the 37th Gun Rights Policy Conference. And events like this are obviously very important, but some might view it as preaching to the choir, right? So I'm sure everybody there was pretty much in agreement on on the topics <laughs> yeah. being discussed. So in your opinion, what is the biggest impact that the conference makes in the fight for our Second Amendment rights? Well, it's really not meant for the general public per se. However, it is streamed live and archived on YouTube and Facebook. And so, uh, you know, the general public can see it. But it's really meant for a place for gun rights activists to come together and help plot a strategy for the, for the upcoming year and to get informed and learn what's going on. This year's gun rights policy obviously had a very heavy tilt towards the legal system of what's happening in our courtrooms because that's where the battle has been going on and where we've actually been winning. Mm -hmm. uh, most legislation nationally has been stalled. But we go on through lots of things at that conference to, to educate the key activists. And, and the networking that goes on there is also extremely important because you've got leadership leaders from you know gun rights groups from all across the country that you know that talk with each other and share what's working in their state to help protect gun rights and then take it up at another state. And so it's it's really a place where the gun rights movement comes and meets once a year. And it's probably the most important gun rights event of the year. Interesting. So I guess you could say what it's doing is within the community itself is it's allowing people to express their opinions and ideas of how we start to win this fight. So kind of what um, Keith was saying earlier is it allows us to combat that idea of the other side dividing us. It's a way to unite ourselves. Correct. It's also pushed a lot of people in the gun rights media, you know, uh, you know, people, website editors, uh, podcasters, uh, broadcasters, you know, you know, come and, and, and meet the actors, get, get people who can be guests on their shows in the future. 
it, it, it helps spread everything. Also, this year, what went on with the Gun Rights Policy Conference was two additional conferences that went on the day before. One was a Legal Scholars Conference where we had about 40 of the key attorneys working on these gun rights cases across the country, meeting, comparing notes, sharing what's going on, uh, you know, sharing responses that the enemy uh, of gun rights is, is putting up in the courtrooms across the country, what to expect in their litigation. And we also had uh, what was called AMCON, which is a new media conference that was set up just for uh, you know podcasters, radio talk show hosts, uh, people involved in, in new media, uh, you know, social media influencers to help push gun rights, you know, in, in the new media and on the internet, and that was attended by about sixty-five, seventy, uh, you know, people that are out there uh, on a daily basis working the internet for gun rights and to help them become all more effective and and and, and you know more engaged. And so the, the gun rights policy conference this year had two sidecar conferences with it, and so it was a phenomenal weekend. So that's that's interesting. I was looking at uh, at the site and I was looking, I actually watched some of the video and I noticed that way, way back when the conference was actually held in New York, which is very interesting. And one of the things that I've been saying lately that's a little frustrating is you, you have places like Texas and I mentioned some others, you know, some, a lot of them in the South uh, or the Southwest that are very pro-gun and a lot of these events tend to be in those places but the problem with that is, is states like New York and I guess to some extent California is they get exactly what they want, which is the community never really grows in our states because we always fuel the Second Amendment in places where they are already Second Amendment friendly. So I'm curious if you would ever consider bringing it back to New York. And do you think it would be wise to start doing more events in New York? Yeah, I mean, right in front of the Capitol sounds like a great place. To <laughs> yeah, be I mean, the Javits, the Javits <laughs> Center is huge. You know, we could do it right in New York City. Yeah, one. Or, let me explain our problems. With the one, the, I think we've done two of them in New York. Not one for sure, but maybe been two, and they both might have been upstate New York. One was in Buffalo for sure, and we we tried to put one in New York City a, a few times, but our problem has been one that New York City is very expensive, yeah. and two, we we try to find a hotel to do this at that will discount rates for us. We buy the rates down by paying more money for you know food and lunches and stuff like that uh, for the, for the attendees to make it affordable for them. And at the same time, we want a hotel that's not too giant big, uh, but likewise big enough to handle us and, and have us exclusively so that we get the whole convention center part of the hotel. That's difficult. And we also like to be near an airport. Okay. So let me look at that for you. Like New York City, uh, there are only a few hotels. Actually, there's only one hotel around LaGuardia big enough to handle us. Uh, and it's marginal. And the around Kennedy's airport, there's no convention hotels, so to speak. There are hotels for people to stay at, but nothing can handle us. Newark, which is a New York City airport, but in New Jersey, could handle us. There's a hotel or two hotels there that, that could actually handle us. But it's not in New York. It's in New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a bad place for us to be as well. People don't want to go to Newark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and to be honest about it, about half of our attendees come from a 200-mile radius from where we, we put them. Now, oh. we have had, we have put them, like, in Chicago. We've done two or three in Chicago, you know, in the belly of the beast. Uh, we've done some in San Francisco. We've done them in Los Angeles. So we do try to take, the, take them to other places that aren't necessarily gun-friendly. And we do that because, quite frankly, we don't want a shrieking map. We want an expanding map. Right. We want to take the battle to our opponents. So we're, we're cognizant of that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, New York's a very expensive place yeah. to, to hold a gun rights policy conference. Yeah, maybe Buffalo, though. Buffalo's not a bad one. That's actually, I wonder if that would be a possibility in the future. Still more than 200 miles. Mike and I would drive, though. Yeah. 
it, it might be one of our problems as we've grown so much over the years that right now at the hotels we've had it at in Buffalo, we couldn't go back to because we're too big. Well, that's gotcha. a good problem to have. And I, I don't I don't know if there's if there's one big enough there now for us or not. We've also done them in Philadelphia. We've done one in Philadelphia, you know, which is Pennsylvania's not exactly ant, totally anti-gun, but Philadelphia is. So we've done sure. them there. So we, we try to we're trying to move them around the country a bit. Uh, next year's we're we're hoping it's going to be two places either back in Chicago or back in Phoenix. We've done it before as well. Okay. So uh, those are the two leading places for it. But you we, you never know. Nashville's a, a, a possible backup as well. We don't have a contract yet for 2023. Well, Nashville's a lot of fun. I will say that. So. Yeah. So do you uh, do your bow ties go with you everywhere, Alan? Well, they were a GRPC. Uh, go Ryan's policy covers. <laughs> they don't always go everywhere, but yeah, usually I wear a bow tie. Uh, who who came up with bow tie gun guy? Uh, I came up with bow tie bow tie gun guy hashtag bow tie gun guy uh, as as my Twitter handle. But the truth is, the bow tie thing started with my wife. Okay. And her argument was, uh, well, let, let me. I'm going to go back a little history. When I first started this, I was a young punk kid, and. Uh, and I had very long hair and wire room glasses. I looked like one of the Beatles. <laughs> and and really threw the anti-gun media off their course a bit because I didn't look like a stereotype of, of, of the person who was, you know, stereotyped as a gun owner. Well, then as I got older, I couldn't have the long hair so much and, and the wire room glasses. My wife decided that I should wear a bow tie because it was disarming to the media because they, they couldn't find somebody, you know, in a wife beater t-shirt with a slogan written on it <laughs> or somebody that you know had an overgrown beard that was quote unquote you know uh overweight or something you know they couldn't they couldn't hang a handle on me and having the bow tie on was disarming to the media and it was and it worked very well and it's just stayed with me and now i only wear bow ties instead of regular ties okay cool well, to, cool cool yeah so the second amendment foundation um is second only to the NRA. And uh, Mike and I recently had Tim Mack on, and we both read his book, Misfire. Um, I'm very suspicious of the NRA, and that's that's me being nice. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've i read that... Uh, I've read some things that you are working behind the scenes with Phil Journey to take back the NRA from Wayne and, and bring it back to the glory days. You know, are we ever going to see that happen? You know, he has, Wayne has survived so many different firing lines. That board of directors is beyond large. I don't even, it, it's ridiculous. And to my surprise, average people, you know, don't know the sad story. Um, you know, how do we get the largest arm of the Second Amendment advocacy back to the people? It, it, are we close to getting that done? Well, you've asked a lot of questions. Let me first say some things you read in the media and online aren't always necessarily true. Okay, I'm not. I'm not trying to get getting really engaged in in the NRA battle fight or whatever. I have helped Phil Journey uh, by allowing one of the nonprofits and the nonprofit that I, that that I correct. I, I yeah, operate that's the detail. To sure, to, to be able to have, raise some money. Uh, for him to use to help in his legal battles and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, for his legal for his legal battles. I'm not engaged in trying to do anything directly with the NRA because I really, honestly, can work with a competing group that I'd rather build to begin with. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, and and to be candid about it, uh, Wayne Lapierre, who's who's you know basically in charge of running the NRA, who most of the charges are being been raised about it. You know, his 
uh, either mis-expenditure of money or self-aggrandizement of money or whatever. I've known him for years. and I'm friendly with Wayne. Uh, I'm not happy about the things I've read about what's gone on there or how it's been done. Uh, and, and something needs to be done. They, they've really jeopardized, they jeopardized the organization a whole lot, I, you know, and, and whatever. Uh, and, and if I, and as an NRA life member myself, I'm not happy about it. Yeah. And I'm probably sure the same sentiments you do about it. Definitely. Uh, you know, the NRA board of directors is having, you know, 75, 76 members of it. It's, obviously it's way ridiculous. Too that's, that's, that's unmanageable. You know, it's, 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 un, it's totally unmanageable. But the fact that, you know, keep people at the NRA have let things happen the way we've gone at the NRA is, is, is you know, is, is not good for the cause or for any of us. Uh, and it's really forced the NRA on the Second Amendment battle issues to really be behind the scenes right now. If I had to say right now who the bigger groups are, you know, obviously I would say the Second Amendment Foundation, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep the Arm, you know, yeah. are at the top of the curve, yeah. Gun Owners of America, the Farmers Policy Coalition, and then I'd say the NRA comes in because they're not engaged in, in very, they're engaged in very little right now, unfortunately, because the money's all been, been misspent for attorneys defending themselves. It's true. Else That's true. Gone to. That's true. Uh, and so none of us should be happy about this. But on the other hand, we all need a very strong and vital NRA. I'd like to see them come back to where they were. Uh, I have no idea how to get them to get back that way, to be perfectly candid about it. Uh, let, let me say it this way. You know, uh, if leadership has changed at the NRA, either in, internally done or forced externally by the, say, the Attorney General of New York or the court system in New York, uh, the problem is who are you going to replace the current well, leadership with? Yep. Okay, and to be candid about it, I'm 75 years old and we're trying to find people to replace me and it's hard to do. And if we can't find people to just replace me, it's not going to be so easy to find people to replace people at the NRA either. So this is going to be a long, hard process for all of us to go through. And we all have to just pull together. And my, my argument is, is don't stop supporting the NRA at this point because we still need them. I know, right. but it's very hard. You know, I, I, I do feel, you know, I, I, I've never met Wayne. I don't know Wayne, you know, but I, I do feel after reading about him and 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 the progression of what happened that I, I kind of feel sorry for him. I kind of feel that, you know, he just, I don't even know that he realized how out of control it got. Well, you know? I, I think, and not to go, I mean, we've done a whole interview on this, but like when you say feel bad, it's hard to say that. With, well, I but, say but no, it with a grain of salt. No, right? but what I mean you know? is it, 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 if you really follow that story, at some point he just got in so deep in the beginning, oh, you like, can't get out. You can't get out now. It's like it's crazy. And and again, I don't want to go off on that too much, but I agree with what you're saying, Alan. I mean, we do need a strong NRA, but I don't know how you fix it. Yeah, let, let me let, let me add to that. I think some of the problems NRAs got into, and it's good they go back a while. They they're not really new. Uh, somewhere down the line, the NRA really started getting run by its vendors. Correct. The vendors were making a lot of money off the NRA, and they pretty much determined what the NRA is going to do and whatever it might be. And then some of the leadership of the NRA started, look, look, our vendors are getting rich, but I'm not. And so it, it got to the point where I'm putting my, you know, my my ladle in, in the soup bowl as well because right. I should get something out of it too. Right. And things just kept spiraling and getting out of hand. Uh, it's hard to blame any one individual. Uh, because this has been a systematic problem for a long time. Is there ever a way to like to to kind of merge some of these organizations together? And and I don't think that's uh, well. I, I I don't really. 
know how to answer that per se. I, I get letters all the time, you know, and emails from people. Like, Why don't you all merge together and, and, and put all your efforts in, in one place? Yeah. That's also dangerous for a gun rights sure. movement to put all efforts in one place. Sure, that makes Something sense. goes wrong, like what's gone wrong at the NRA over the last, you know, several years. And then we're all, we're all in trouble. Yeah. So I like the idea of having a diverse gun rights movement with multiple you know, groups. And I like the competition. The competition makes yeah. us all better and makes us work harder. I can't disagree with that. I can't yeah, disagree. You know, and so, you know, I, it's made me work better and harder. So I like, I like the competition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you look at, you look at what firearms policy coalition is doing and like, they're kind of doing their own thing. And, and truthfully, like I support them. I really do. Uh, but there's some things that they do that I am not particularly fond of. It doesn't mean I don't support them. It doesn't mean I don't think they're doing a great job, but I don't have to necessarily like everything every group is doing, yeah, exactly. but that's why it's nice to have different groups because, you know, you, like you said, if all of a sudden, and I'm using them as an example, FPC started doing something I really didn't like, well, if they're the only game in town because there's a merger, now where do I go? But now I can say, you know what, I'm going to go to GOA or I'm going to go to, you know, SAF or somewhere else. So I, I do agree with that. And I, I think that that's coming from someone that's done this a long time. I think that's actually pretty, pretty solid and sound advice. You, you may have heard me mention earlier in our intro that we have a Discord page and we have, uh, you know, kind of some fun in there. Well, I did something new for this interview, it's the first time we've ever done it. I offered our Discord members the chance to uh, possibly ask a question uh, on the Great. show. Yeah, and so uh, one of our members, uh, he goes by the handle Jack Neat. Uh, he actually asked this question. He said, back in 2020, you started the first responders program, and I actually have it up on our big screen here on your website, whatever he wants to know, whatever happened to that program, it uh, seems like a great idea, but uh, he never, he feels like he never got anything from it. No emails, no updates. So has that been shelved? Are you still working on that? What's the deal with it? No, it's still there. Uh, unfortunately, I was, we haven't got it where I want it to be yet. And it's, it's really a staffing problem. We, we're short about six staff members to be able to work on the projects we've currently got on our plate now. And uh, it, it's just really difficult to find the, find the talent out there to bring on board. We've been trying really hard. Uh, so it's still there. But when he said he hasn't gotten anything, uh, what we don't, anybody who applies to the first amendment first responders program gets folded in no matter what automatically with, with our staff you know, stuff that goes out. So I'm hoping he's getting that stuff. If not, uh, I, I, I want to give him, I hope he's listening right now. Maybe uh, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Okay. My personal email is AKA gunnut at AOL.com. AKA G U N N U T at AOL.com. I would love it if he could give me an email, uh, so that I can make sure he's, he's getting, you know, with, with his, uh, physical address his his con all his contact information his 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 email addresses so i can make sure that he's getting the stuff he's supposed to be getting all our first responders should be get should be getting stuff from us so it isn't necessarily set up where they get it and it goes this is from the first being a first responder uh it's more colloquial that he is a first responder by being engaged with the foundation uh so for jack neat you know, okay, but no, everybody else out there, don't be uh, emailing Alan. Right, don't be spamming Alan. Right, don't be no, emailing Alan. I, I, no, I, I don't care if they if they <laughs> want to contact me. I'm very, I always make myself very accessible. Yeah, it may take a while for me to get back to people because I get thousands of emails a day, but I try to get back to everybody. So it, 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 anybody else is free to, to email me at that address as well. Thank you, thank you for uh, for that for being so accessible. I think that's amazing for someone in your position, and. I hope that, uh, Jack, when you're listening to this, I hope that that helps. 
and uh, it, it sounds like a great program. Other people that are interested, obviously sign up and uh, make sure that you're getting in the fight if that's something you're interested in. Uh, we're going to move on to some other segments here, but Alan, where where's the best place for people to reach out and get involved and give us all your social media and your website and all that good stuff? Well, I'm going to just give my website because everything else is, is linked off of it anyways, and they can find it there. Beautiful. But saf.org, saf.org, Sam Alpha Frank, and or put, you just put Sigma Foundation in your, in your browser, you know, and we're going to come up and you get, you'll get to our website. Uh, and all the information is there. And I really urge people when they go to the website to go to the n- news release, news and information section, you know, section link first. Because on that, you'll see everything what we're doing and all our news releases there. And when it comes to the legal cases, the release is linked to the cases directly. And you can see, everybody can see all the activities that we're doing. Uh, and there's a lot of videos there. Uh, and so that's the best place to go is saf.org. And of course, we welcome people to join or donate. Perfect. So we want to get to our next segment, which is called Run and Gun. And uh, Run and Gun is a game that we play with all of our guests on the show. It's a 10-question rapid-fire answer. So when we ask you 10 questions, give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Would you be willing to do that with us? We'll give it a try. All right. So Keith does time it, and uh, you know you you have a chance of being the record holder. You, you never know, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into that, I just want to mention our sponsor. Run and Gun is sponsored by Resurgent Arms. Get 12% off with our discount code, GUNEXPERIMENT12. And Will's been great to us. I, he's was one of our early... Uh, interviews and he's actually been coming back on the show on our other sister show chopping it up so everybody that's out there uh, hopefully you're looking forward to that he's a really great guy and uh alan we're ready to do this if you are go for it all right number one what is your favorite gun in your personal collection daytonics 45 combat master what gun would you buy if money was no object uh, something from defense uh daniel defense if you could have a drink with one person living or dead who would it be uh, Anthony Scalia for former Justice Supreme Court. Favorite caliber? Uh, nine millimeter. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Collecting stamps. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Once it would be us, <laughs> USA. All hell breaks yeah. loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Better be armed or trained? Uh, I'm going to have to say armed. Is it better to be loved or feared? Uh, I don't know. I like being loved, but sometimes you want to be feared. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Uh, Dave Workman. Let's mix it up. All right, Keith, how do you do? Respectable. 57.98. Okay. Not a record breaker, but definitely, definitely respectable for sure. All right, so Let's Mix It Up is brought to you by Onsite Firearms Training. They have an extensive course offering and teach classes across the country. You're guaranteed to find a course to meet your needs, to check them out and get trained by the same outfit that trains the gun experiment. And we're actually going to be taking a course with them in November. Very shortly. I'm pretty yeah, excited. Yeah, uh, we, one of our listeners is actually going to be training with us, which is really cool. Uh, Steve, if you're listening, uh, we're excited to actually get to train with you. So that's awesome. So on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss how the Second Amendment isn't the only place that we're being divided. So there's a little bit of a twist on what we normally do. And Keith, I know you've been really uh, in taking a deep dive in a book lately. Uh, so I'm actually going to let you kind of start this thing off. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we were preparing for tonight, we we were writing down some questions and 
you know, as I was doing some research uh, on you, Alan, and some of the th- thoughts that you've had and some of the interviews that you had in the past, I really got a sense that, you know, you kind of agree that the progressive, and I, I hate putting labels on it, but the other side or, or um, it is doing their best to divide us in more than one ways. And, and they, they do a great job at picking little pockets of individuals and, and finding where they're their point of distension is. So like examples that we've used already tonight is, you know, there are hunters who are like, yeah, I don't really think you need a 30 round magazine. Right. And there are, they've been doing this even in my opinion, through, um, you know, through schools and through other things. And they're just slowly, slowly, and they're very patient trying to, find ways to divide us into these pockets of progressive indoctrination. That's just, it's, it's almost overwhelming to feel to, and to, to realize that this is happening. And I'm starting to realize it more and more, the more I pay attention. Do you see that, see it that way, Alan? Do you feel like it's the, the gun is just, you know, that's one area, but do you see it in other areas as well? Yeah, it's hard not to. And let's be honest about it. Uh, you just pick up any newspaper or watch yeah. any news broadcast and, you know, and, and it's in your face and it's there. Uh, so the answer is definitely yes. It's almost as if people are are taking, misinterpreting the rights that we have in, 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 into, uh, they're, mis- they're misinterpreting in, in the terms of my opinion is the only opinion that matters instead of my opinion is my right and your opinion is your right, right? Like that that's sort of almost and I'm boiling it down pretty heavy there. But you know, that that is almost always what I come back to. It's like you you forget that your right to have the opinion that you have is the freedom that you have that gives you the right to have that opinion. You know, it's funny you you mentioned schools. Yeah. Uh, and we can ter- certainly talk about public education in like a, at a undergraduate level, but certainly colleges are not there oh. maybe worse, right? Yeah. And I you know, I think it's very important. I, I want to make sure I frame this correctly, but there's a lot of really good teachers out there, okay? Sure. Um and I don't think that it's this is it's more of a, the system. And when I say that, Teachers need to be very careful that when they're talking about sensitive topics, that they are painting things in a in a light that they sort of play devil's devil's advocate and show two sides of the coin and let students make up their own minds. So what I always say is, I don't want my children to be a clone of me. Although sometimes that might be, I might think that's nice, right? <laughs> I don't want them to be a clone of their teacher. I want them to think for themselves and their teacher's job and their parents' job is to show them how two sides view things differently and then let them sort of see how they feel on that topic. I don't think that that is happening nearly enough. I would agree. And I think there are some teachers who do it very well. I, I know some teachers who I believe do that very well, but I think there's a lot who don't. And if you don't do that, and you're an educator, you really should be ashamed of yourself. How, how do you get over the, again, and I'm, 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 I'm now just starting to get this feeling of being overwhelmed on this division and, and how to combat it. I even struggle with it with my own kids, you know, so how, how do you combat this? I mean, on some extreme days, I'm like, I'm taking them out of school and homeschooling them. I, <laughs> I think, and Alan, I'm going to let you kind of jump in here in a second. I think that the biggest weapon that the, uh, 
again, the other side has come up with is this whole cancel culture and yeah. this virtue signaling that they that they have employed they've weaponized that those concepts and if you don't agree with them that's it you can lose your livelihood we yeah. we shut you down and as soon as that became a weapon the weapon of choice uh it really has stifled the ability to not be divided so uh, i think the way that you do it is you do it tactfully and respectfully, but I think you do have to pick your battles. And when you find something that is important to you, I think you do need to stand up and say, I, I will not back down there, on this. There, there, and I, I, Alan, I want to let you talk too, but it's almost as if there's no common ground of basic inalienable rights. Like, you know, they, we, we, you have a discussion of a difference of opinion, but there's no common ground of like, do you, am I making yeah, myself? You clear? are. And actually the, I mean, this is how we're going to get Alan in this conversation. So Alan, what you have done for many, many years is to try to unite and grow the second amendment, unite people and grow the second amendment. Right. So how do you do that? Like, how do we do this on all fronts? And obviously this relates to the, to guns as well. So we can tie that in, but how do you grow a movement like you've done? Well, I want to answer this a couple different ways if I can. First of, of all, everything you guys have said is totally accurate. And you know, we, we all feel it every day. You know, my wife and I, we look at each other each day like, is this a world we want to live in anymore? Because yeah. what, what people are advocating and how they're treating other people, I mean, it's, 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 this is really horrible. Uh, and, and there's no doubt the cancel culture is, is obviously a very big problem. And, you know, let's be honest, the first thing they want to cancel is gun owners and gun ownership. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the top of the pyramid here for what they want to get rid of. Uh, but it goes to the deeper thing. What they're really trying to do is change the whole nature and character of America and what we stand for and, and who we are. And that's why it's so personal. And that's why it affects us so much and why it, it, it's, we feel the negativity from it. Because it's really they just want to wipe you out completely. Uh, they don't want America to be what it is. Any of our founding principles, how we operate, what our Constitution says. Uh, I mean, they really there's there's a movement afoot that really wants to destroy that and remake us into a whole different image. Uh, and when you have something like that, it's like I always say, you know, I, I try to respect the people that oppose our Second Amendment rights, but you know, when you're trying to take a right away from me and you're trying to limit my freedom, I have to take it a little personally. Uh, now, your second part of that, what you we were talking about was like how that. do we how do we grow and build the movement? And I've tried to build it by being more inclusive. You know, we've done, done a lot of outreach to, you know, the, you know, the LBJQ communities. We've done a lot of outreach, you know, to, to women in general. Uh, we've done a, a lot of outreach to the African-American community, to Hispanics, to the Asian community. So what we try to you know, be very inclusive and bring people in who no normally wouldn't be what you consider to be the, the average gun owner, because you know, to win, you you have to be inclusive. And I always talk about it's a game of addition and multiplication, not division and subtraction. If you want to grow and be bigger and be successful and win in the end, I like. And to that. me, it's okay. To me, it's all about winning. I mean, uh, I'm not in this battle, to, you know, because uh, I want to lose our rights. I'm in it or to just fight the good old fight. I'm in it because I want to win. And I'm hoping that all gunners look at that. And, we, and to win, you have to fight smart. Uh, and so we've tried to do that. Not, not Sometimes we don't, you know, reach the pinnacle of where we want to be. 
but the bottom line is, is that you have to fight smart and you have to fight to win. It's funny you say that. So I, I had family up this weekend. I was talking to my cousin and you, you brought up race, you brought up, uh, you know, sexual identity, things like that. And what's funny is as I've matured, as I've grown, as I've gotten more into, into the second amendment, what I find funny is the media would have you think that white people and black people and Hispanic people, they, they don't see eye to eye and they don't get along. And people that are straight and people that are gay and people that are, you know, trans, they don't, they, they don't see eye, they don't get along. But what I find funny is when I put things in the proper lens and I look at something like the second amendment, which is, which is very uh, near and dear to my heart and very important to me, I start to look at all of those people who are not like me. And I go, you know, I actually see more eye to eye with those people than I do that with people yes. that are like me. So it, it, it actually is a great unifier in that way because when you start to see that, look, the Second Amendment and firearm ownership is really about the ability to defend yourself, your life, ultimately, right, to protect your, your country, your family. And when you look at people who are not like you and you realize that person, put you know, whoever they are that's different than you, they just want what I want. They want to protect their family like I want to protect my family. They want to live in a country where they feel safe like I want to live in a country where I feel safe. And when you see that commonality, you really start to realize we're not so different. And if we just could start to see that the division is not being created by us, right? It's being created by them. And when I say them, it's really the, polit the political uh, establishment. And the, and the media and the, these sort of like really large uh, infrastructures in our country. Yeah, you know, what's, what's interesting in, 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 in this realm, so to speak, is recent polling data that actually shows that when you talk about threats to democracy, at the top of the list is our national media. I yeah. would agree. I say it all the yeah, time. All the time. I say it all the you time. Know, but, but the American people get it. And, and, and polling data now shows that. Uh, and, and, and the cancel culture is, is right up there as, as being a threat to democracy because you can't have just one opinion on one side, you know? And I always tell people, you know, when I get, when I'm doing so-called, you know, mainstream media, I hate using that. That's all use legacy media uh, as the terminology. Uh, you know, I always get asked about, well, what about this or what about that? And I'll say, you know, there's two sides to every equation and you don't get the answer to a public policy question, so to speak, with only one side of the equation. To get the proper answer, you've got to work at both sides of that equation. And the cancel culture and the, the, the progressives, so to speak, in this country really want to cancel you out. So there is no real way of getting a real answer to the equation to solve a problem. They just want their view heard. Nobody else. Yeah, individualism, not nationalism, right? Like, no, there's no... Not enough pride of nationalism. There's individualism, and it's well. Some people would say, "How dare you be a nationalist? How dare you?" There's, I mean, that's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, I right? mean, I don't. But it, it, to me, and it's like you know, Obama was notorious for that. He apologized for America, right? I mean, <laughs> right, think yeah, about. It. Can right. you imagine? A, can you imagine apologizing for American exceptionalism? The fact <laughs> that who doesn't want to be exceptional, right? But he apologized. I mean, that yeah. was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's be honest about it. What makes America exceptional are exceptional individuals that have done things, that, you know, where they had the freedom to do them. Which, which there's a lack of those individuals, yeah. right? You well, know, like just by population growth, there should be way more Thomas Jeffersons and George Washingtons and and Ben Franklins. But there's who who are they? 
Well, well the, pro- the problem is when you have government control of everything and, and you don't have individual freedom to you know, go out there and, and create or, or, or think or do anything, what tends to happen is it stamps it out. And that's, I think, p- part of what this cancel culture is trying to do to all to all yeah. of us. Cookie they don't cutters. want anybody to be exceptional. Yeah. They don't want anybody to have the opportunity to be able to be great. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that the other thing that they the other side does very well, and I say the other side, it really could be it actually could be could Democrats be or Republicans, yeah, right? The other side meaning not us, not the populace. Uh, the other thing they do very well is they control the narrative, right? So I, I'm using this as an example: is when I was coming up. One of the things that I remember making us exceptional and being told made us exceptional was our diversity was our power, right? So the the idea of the melting pot, the idea that we are, we are more powerful because we're not all homogenous, right? And now you can't even say the word melting pot. Now that's not that term. They've taken that term and said, no, no, you can't say that. And I just you know, I don't even know the reason. It's, I'm sure it's, I don't agree with it. I guarantee I don't. <laughs> I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, the, controlling the narrative and controlling what you can say and what you can't say and, you know, what's proper and what's not proper. And it's like, it's just, and again, Alan, I agree with you. It's most likely media and it's, they have a big platform and they're just basically dictating what is, is allowed and not allowed. And I think to some extent, Again, you have to be careful, but I think to some extent pushing back, Keith, and saying, no, I'm going to say melting pot. I'm yeah. going to continue using that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we are, though, we are very blessed that we have the Internet and open communications that we have because that is the biggest threat to the so-called cancel culture because they can't find all the pl- they can't cancel every platform. Right. Right. And I, I, that is one thing I will say. I say it all the time with with this show and this podcast is the barrier to entry to have your voice heard has never been easier, right? That's true. So like Keith and I are in a studio with boom arms and mics and a big screen that we can put stuff up. It's no different. It's smaller. It's smaller scale. But I mean, you know, for as little as really nothing, I mean, you could use your cell phone, right? So really you can get into this sphere as easy as you want to, as big or as small as you want to be. But years ago, you would have had to go to college. You would have had to do an internship at a broadcast studio and the barrier to entry is very low right now. So if you want a voice, you can have a voice. And we should all be using that as as much as we can, as much as we want to. But you have to be willing to accept all voices. That's, yeah. that, that's where I think, you know, for me, part of the hardest part of having conversations with anyone who has a dis, disagreeing opinion to me is getting them to understand that I hear you but my opinion matters too. And you're, you know, like we can agree to disagree. Now let's go have a beer. Yeah. Or, I know, often like, really, I have trouble with someone. I, I have friends that I disagree with, but we're, we're still friends. Obviously there's some people who I don't agree with them and I don't want to be their friend, but it's more that I just don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, but sure. here's the thing. I don't want to cancel them though. That's the other right, thing. I, the other I thing. don't have, I don't agree with you. You're not my cup of tea in terms of like a social uh, relationship. But I don't want to see you fail. I don't want to see you not prosper as but, a person. But that is that's that's part of what we are and what we believe. And yes, I think part of that includes the Second Amendment and what we believe in and talk about here. But the reality is, our frame of mind is not the norm. It's it's not. That's not what. That's what's dividing us. Is we're losing that ability to be able to accept others' other opinions as not our own, but realize that, man, it's great that we live in a country where that's even allowed. 
Well, but but the, again, the problem is that the, the cancel culture people want to reform the country and change it. Yeah. They don't want that to be allowed anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're the danger to democracy. So, Alan, I have one final question for you, and I'm going to let you have the final word on this interview. And that is this. Keith and I always say that the Second Amendment should really not be a political issue. That yeah, it should sure. be it's it should be as bipartisan as it gets. It should be about everyone having the right to defend them, their family and themselves. And we really think that it should be an apolitical conversation. Yeah. Nobody do, should be campaigning on the Second Amendment. Right. How good do we, or bad. How do we get it there? Is it possible to get it there? And I'll let you close out the show with that. Well, when I first started in defending Second Amendment rights, it was there. Yeah. It was really a bipartisan issue. There are a significant number of Democrats as well as Republicans that supported Second Amendment rights. And those that didn't support Second Amendment rights were really way in, in the minority, so to speak, of, of say, you know, elected Democrats or elected Republicans. Uh, and it was great to work across the aisles with, with both sides, you know, to, for common solutions. Unfortunately, uh, the pro gun prohibition lobby, who was very well funded, was able to spend lots and lots of dollars making sure that Democrats who supported Second Amendment rights were no longer part of the Democratic Party. And we take them out in primaries and, and, and other ways and make them feel uncomfortable being there. Uh, and there's still a lot of Democrats who support Second Amendment rights, but they're just not in powers of position in, 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 in the Democratic Party or in, as an elected official. Uh, and pretty much they've d- destroyed the, the base of anybody who supports gun rights in the Democratic Party and become, you know, the, uh, the prohibition party. Uh, and that's very unfortunate. And I don't see that changing because the Democratic Party is pretty much controlled by politicians in major cities like New York and San Francisco, Chicago, uh, where there's only one party rule. And when the real you know, progressives and, and, and far left gets control of the party, it's, it's not going to change. And we don't have a say. Most gun owners don't have a say in there or a way to do it. Uh, I don't know how that's going to get back to the norm whereby everybody in bo- it becomes a bipartisan issue. I wish it would. It's really important for me. It's important for the Constitution. There are certain things you know, that we all need to be on the same page with. National defense of our country, you know, our Bill of Rights, our Constitution. Uh, but unfortunately, there are some people that care more about their own political power uh, than they care about you know, people's constitutional civil rights. I don't know how to get back there at this point. Things are so polarized. I don't see them getting better. Uh, I see the polarization getting worse. My only hope is that our side of the polarization it's bigger and stronger and it's more power than the other side does, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I kind of agree. That, unfortunately, that's where we're at. And Keith, you say it all the time, but I just think we're, I think we are divided. And I, I think that, like Alan said, I don't know how you get back to that time where we were sort of more in the middle. I, it's going to be very, very hard to do. So anyway, Alan, I, I appreciate that insight. And uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show and discussing gun rights advocacy with us. I think it's obvious that our political leaders are prospering while our populace fights amongst itself. So ultimately, the Second Amendment and our country will be preserved through our united efforts. And it's nice to know that we have an organization like Second Amendment Foundation on the front lines with us. So thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, thank you for all of your insight and your years of experience. It, It really is a pleasure to have you on here. Yes. Thank you, Alan. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed being with both of you, and I hope you choose to have me on again. Uh, we def- we definitely will. And to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. 
You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going.